rising of the sun to the going down of the same our God indeed is worthy to be praised hallelujah to his name let's invite God's blessing upon our time in his word today Lord let the words of my mouth the meditation of our hearts let them be acceptable in thy sight Lord you are our strength and our redeemer in Jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. There's a word from the Lord in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to what God is saying to us today. In the beginning was the word. I want to preach about the word for world gone wild. The word for a world gone wild. And I believe that you'll agree with me that we're living in a world that has gone wild. This global pandemic with millions on top of millions of people who are getting sick, millions who are dying. This is a world gone wild. When we look at the Unemployment, millions and millions of people are losing their jobs on a weekly basis in the United States of America. This is a world gone wild. Even when we look at the poverty and the economic gap between those who are poor getting poor and those who are rich getting richer, this is a world gone wild. When we trying to figure out how to educate our children after we spent four months trying to figure out how to open a bar and spent a few days trying to figure out how to educate our children because this is a world gone wild where we have those who are at the highest political positions who are more concerned about holding on to their positions and perceived power than the lives of people who support what they're trying to do. This is a, a world gone wild. When we look at depression is on the rise, suicidal thoughts and suicidal actions are on the rise. The increase in abuse of illicit drugs and the increase in abuse of alcohol. This is a world gone wild, social injustice and police brutality and this this racial divide in this nation. This is a world gone wild. And I'm so glad that John, the beloved disciple, is helping us to know we're going to be all right because in the beginning was the word. And God gives us the word for a world gone wild. And when John wrote this, it was not in the 21st century. It was in the first century. And that was a wild world as well, that you had the Roman occupation as they sent military soldiers, Roman soldiers into Israel to dominate them and to intimidate them and to complicate uh, them in their world. That this was a time of oppression and suppression and depression as the Roman government would oppress and depress the Hebrew people. It got so bad that they literally pushed them out of their own nation. They pushed them out of Israel. The Hebrews didn't even live in Israel. They got pushed out because of persecution, because of oppression. 
not just those who were a part of Judaism, but the Christians got pushed out. Great persecution arose, as it speaks of in the book of Acts. And that great persecution had them go beyond Jerusalem and go beyond uh, Judea and go beyond Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the world. So that when John is writing this, who is Hebrew, he's not writing from Israel. He's writing from a Greek city called Ephesus. And so he's looking at this world that has gone wild with that poverty and, and those who are marginalized being looked down upon and being mistreated and maltreated by the governmental systems and the religious systems of that day and the economical systems of that day and time. And as he sat in that Greek city, seeing all of those Greek people going around, he understood this, this ethnic divide between the Hebrew people and the Greek people, this, this ethnic divide. A disconnect that they had with one another partially because of the oppression but the other part is because the Hebrew people had an air about them they had an attitude about them they had an arrogance about them the Hebrew people thought they were the best people they looked down on everybody else especially the Greeks because they felt like God chose us and God gave us the prophets and God gave us the patriarchs and God gave us the commandments. And so God must think something special of us. And we are at the top of the human food chain and look down on everybody else. But the Greeks, they also had an air about them and an attitude about them and an arrogance about them because the Greeks felt like, no, we're at the top of the human food chain. We're the most intellectual, we're the most cultural, we're the most, uh, in, in terms of being civil, that we're the best athletes, we're the best entertainers, we're the best with literature, we're the best with poetry. And they looked down upon everybody else and oppressed them in that Roman Empire. And that ethnic divide got in the way of how they uh, could connect one with the other. And now here is John a disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle trying to figure out how do I get Christ and Christianity and the kingdom of God to these Greek people with no background of Judaism, that they were not raised in the tabernacle or the temple or the church. How do I get them to understand who Christ is? These are the Greeks are people that didn't know anything about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew, they knew nothing about the Ten Commandments and Moses. They, they weren't raised in that. They didn't know anything about King David. They never heard of King David and a throne that would last forever. They, they didn't know anything about the... How do you win these Greek people who are so arrogant, they think they're already at the top and above everybody else with a disconnect from the one trying to share it? And so John came up with this. The one thing that he knew that the Hebrew people and the Greek people at least had in common one thing. That was the acknowledgement of something called the Logos, L-O-G-O-S. He's writing to Greeks and these Greek readers, so he's writing in their language. And John writes to them in Greek. So in John chapter 1, in our text, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. And the same was in the beginning with him because at least the Hebrews and the Greeks both acknowledged the Logos. That's the 
mind of God, the, the reasoning of God, the rationale of God, the logos. Both the, the Hebrews and the Greeks understood that there's so much order in the world that the mind of God must be holding this together. The, the, the rationale of God must be keeping this universe because it's, it's too much order for there not to be the thinking of God behind this. That, that the, sun, the sun always rises in the east and then sets in the west. It never rises in the wrong place or sets on the wrong side. It's so much order in this universe. That the moon is exactly where it's supposed to be. The moon controls the flows of the rivers and the waters. And if the moon were any closer, we'd have tsunamis every day across this world. But the moon is right where it's supposed to be to control the flow of the waters. There's so much order in the world. They said it's got to be a logos. It's got to be the mind of God behind this. That the sun is 93 million miles away. If the sun were any closer, then the earth would burn up. If the sun were any further away, then the earth would freeze. That it's right where it's supposed to be. They said the reasoning and rationale of God is behind this. And they called it the logos. In the beginning was the logos. And that is where John decided that I'm going to go after these people who were not raised in the tabernacle, not raised in the temple, not raised in the church, so that I can at least have a starting place to get them to understand how important it is to have Christ in your life, to have Christianity as a part of your life, to have the church as a part of your life, the kingdom of God. And he said, in the beginning was the Logos, the mind of God. And he's seeking to get them to understand that the only way you and I can perceive the mind of God is that God has to reveal it to us. You cannot automatically know the mind of God. Isaiah says that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. There's no way that any human being can understand the mind, the thinking, the logos of God unless God reveals it to them. In the beginning was the logos, but in order for us to understand it, he has to reveal it. Nobody can, independent of the revelation of God, figure out the mind of God. People tell me, well, you know, I'm not a Christian and I don't go to church and I don't read the Bible, but here's what I believe God. I think God is like, you can't just innately on your own figure out what God is all about. God has to reveal himself to us. His ways are not, his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. How are you just going to figure out the mind of God on your own without him revealing it? Matter of fact, we can't even figure out each other's minds. You sitting up there with sitting in the car with a human being right now. You don't know what's on their mind. You've been living with somebody. You've been married 20 years. Still trying to figure out what's on their mind. The mind of your children or the mind of your parents. We can't even figure out the mind of our own family and friends. You gonna, but now you're going to figure out the mind of God. Sometimes we can't even figure out our own mind. I know I've done some things I wish I had never done. And y'all ain't got to look at me all holy like you ain't never done something you wish you had never done. Then the next day I get up and look at myself in the mirror and say to myself, what were you thinking? Now, if we can't figure out what we're thinking in our own mind and the mind of our family and friends, how are we going to figure out the mind of God independent of God revealing it? It's a revelation. So how does God reveal his mind, his thinking to us the same way human beings reveal what we think to other people? 
is we give them a word. What's on your mind? Well, here is the word. I'm explaining, and that's how God does us. Since we can't figure out his mind, that Logos on our own in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So God gives us a word so that we can know who he is and what he's thinking and understand his ways. And the first experience and exposure we've had to the word of God was the spoken word of God. That our first experience and exposure to the revelation of who God is was in the spoken word. God gives us the power of the spoken word to help bring order to chaos in a world gone wild. I said he gives power, the power of the spoken word. And it's to help us to get order out of chaos in a world gone wild. When is that first experience? When is that first exposure? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. Darkness covered the face of the waters. Then the spirit of God moved. And God said. Our first exposure to the word is the spoken word in the midst of chaos. That's what that is. The earth was without form and void and darkness and water everywhere. That's chaos. And in the midst of that chaos, God spoke a word. And when God spoke a word, his word is so powerful until it brought order out of the chaos. Who was it? Uh, Iowa State University. Iowa State University, their geologist has come up with a recent study, a conclusion to a recent study. And when I say recent, I mean 2020. And they have concluded that at some point in history, the entire earth was all water. They went all these oceans and studied rocks and chemicals out of the oceans. And they said at some point, based on science, this scientific study, geologists said that at some point in history, the entire earth was all water, no land mass. And then people talking about, well, that's why I don't read the Bible because it contradicts science. No, science is just now catching up with the Bible. The Bible already said that on page one in, in the book of Genesis, page one of the Bible. It says that the earth that the, the darkness covered the, 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 the deep, the water. It was all water. And in the midst of that chaos, God gave us the spoken word. Let there be. And when God said, let there be light, there was light. God said, let the, let the light be called day and the night be called night. Let the darkness be separated from uh, the light. And then God said, let the land be separated from the waters and then let the heavens, the atmosphere of the heavens be separated from the atmosphere of the every time God spoke, something happened in the midst of chaos. The word of God, the spoken word of God has so much power until it brought order out of chaos. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us. You and I need to start speaking the word of God because there's power in the spoken word. And no matter how much chaos you have in your family or how much chaos we have in this community or how much chaos we have in this world, when we begin to speak that spoken word of God, it begins to bring order out of chaos. And the word of God, y'all, it works in high places and low places. Let the atmosphere of the heavens be separated from the atmosphere. You can't get no higher than the heavens, but the word of God works up there too. 
I don't care how high you've gone in life, the word of God. I don't care what kind of job you have, how much money you make, what degree you hold, what position you hold. The word of God, that spoken word works in high places. Let the land be separated from the water. You can't get any lower than, than below sea level. But the word of God works there too because no matter how low life has taken you, the word of God works even in low places when we speak that word of God. So much power in the word of God. It speaks in darkness and light. Let the darkness be separated from the light. It, it, it speaks for men and women. God said, let us make man. And he made them at his own image. And he made them male and female. Because the spoken word works for men and the spoken word works for women too. There's so much power in the spoken word. Then God takes that spoken word and gives it to his prophets. Who was it? Isaiah. It, 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 was, it was the writer of the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 1 that at various times and in various ways, God spoke through his prophets. But in the last days that God speaks through his son, but God spoke through his prophets. God says, there's no way you're going to understand my mind without me revealing it to you. So the way I'm going to reveal it to you is I'm going to give you prophets that will bring you the spoken word. And, and for all of all of you who think that somehow because we're people of faith and we we're Christians, we don't have to worry about government and we don't have to worry about uh, government officials and power. we don't need to have anything to do with that. that. That's because you're trying to think it up on your own. You try to know the mind of God by yourself. But if you look at the revelation of God, then we know the people of God need to help determine what's going on with government officials. Because when the prophets spoke, they didn't just speak at the house of God. They spoke to political figures. They spoke to heads of state. They spoke to government officials. Uh, Moses was a prophet. He didn't just speak in the tabernacle, y'all. He spoke to the head of state of Egypt. God said, let my people go. Uh, Samuel was a prophet. He didn't just speak at the temple where uh, Pastor Eli was, but he spoke to the first head of state of Israel. They were putting in a new governmental system, and he spoke to him and told him that God, Saul, is going to take care of you. And then that prophet Samuel also spoke to the head of state David and said that God is going to give you a throne of authority that will last forever. Elijah didn't just speak at the school of prophets. He spoke to the head of state, Ahab, and said, because you've been so wicked and wretched and so wrong uh, that God is going to allow an economic downturn through a drought to come through here for the next three and a half years. Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord, he didn't just speak at the temple, but he spoke to the head of state, Hezekiah, and said, if you don't get your house in order, then you're going to die because God has given the spoken word to the people of God so that we can speak truth to power, not just speak it to other believers, not just speak it at church, not just speak it to folk who already believe, but to speak truth to power. And God has given us so we can understand his thinking and his mind, the spoken word. And he created us after his own image. When he created man, Adam, after his own image, he put him in the garden and then he told Adam this. He said, Whatever you name all of these animals in the garden, that's what they become. You're talking about power in the spoken word. Whatever you call them, that's what they are. That's power right there. And the apostle Paul, 
he helped us to understand the same thing when he wrote to the believers at Corinth. He said, you can speak those things that are not as though they are. Oh my goodness, I wish we could understand how much power we have in the spoken word. One of those Roman soldiers that came and occupied in Israel when Jesus was there, ran up on Jesus. And that Roman soldier said, Jesus, I got, I got a son that's sick at home. I need you to heal my son. So Jesus said, all right, let's go to your house. I heal your son. And then the Roman soldier said, I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. But if you speak the word where you are. My son will be healed where he is. And Jesus spoke the word and he was healed because Isaiah 55 and 11 says that God's word never goes out vain or void. It always accomplishes its purpose. It always accomplishes what he intended for it to accomplish. Well, since that is the case, we're in the image of God. There's power in the spoken word of God. You and I ought to start speaking the word of God over our situations. Speak it over your sickness because it tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Speak it over your poverty. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Speak it over these insane high officials who keep trying to shut us out. No weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper. Speak it over your financial situation that you're in right now. And we know all things work together for good to them who are in. Do I have a witness that God is a God that gave us power in the spoken word? But he didn't just give us the spoken word. God knows that we can't understand the Lord. We can't understand the mind of God. The thinking of God independent of his revelation. So God says, I'm not just going to give you my spoken word. I'm going to give you my written word. In the beginning was the word. And he gives us his written word. He gives us principles in the written word to help us to deal with confusion in a world gone wild. What did you say? He's given us principles in his written word. Yes. The Apostle Paul was writing to a young preacher named Timothy. And he told Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's for reproof, it's for correction, it's for inspiration, it's for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is God inspired. All of it. So God inspired at least 40 writers. And these 40 writers, men and women, inspired by the Spirit of God, has given us the written word. And you and I need to be spending some time in that written word. Hide that word in your heart that you might not sin against God. Uh, Psalm 119, how can a young person cleanse their ways by taking heed to the word of God? The word is a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my pathway. Y'all, heaven and earth are going to pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word passes away. If you meditate upon that word day and night, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season and your leaf shall not wither. We need to make sure we embrace the written word of God. You know, there are some of us who claim that we have received Jesus as Savior, but we reject Scripture. So you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and I've accepted Jesus, but I just, I don't believe in the Bible, and I don't read the scripture, because I, I, I just, I don't do that. Well, how are you going to receive Jesus as Savior, and then reject scripture? 
Because Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men and women. Follow me. So we're following Jesus. Jesus embraced scripture. We need to embrace scripture. Jesus read scripture. We need to read. Jesus lived by the scripture. We need to live by scripture. Y'all, when Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, it talks about when Jesus started his earthly ministry. He was 30 years old. He starts his earthly ministry. He goes around preaching. He ends up going back to Nazareth, one of the places he spent some time as a young person, as a child. When he goes back to Nazareth, he goes to the synagogue, the house of God. So we following Jesus. At some point, we go to the house of God. And then when he gets in there, the text says they brought him the book, not a book, the book. They brought him the scriptures. Jesus opened the scriptures to Isaiah chapter 61. That the spirit, and then he began to read. The scriptures, the written word of God, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to re recover sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to set the oppressed free. That's the scriptures. You can't reject. You can't receive the savior and then reject the scriptures. Even when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, turn stone into bread, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, bow down and worship me. Jesus responded with the written word. It is written, he said. It is written, he said. It is written again, he said. So if we're going to receive the Savior, we cannot reject the scriptures. It's a trick of the enemy trying to get you as far away from the written word of God as possible because you can't understand God independent of the revelation of God. And the revelation of God is the written word of God that he gives to us. And man, we need to every day read that word. And then some people say, well, I don't, I don't accept the Bible. I don't read the Bible. I don't trust it because it's, it's a white man's book written to the white man, written for the white man, written by the white man. And that's the biggest lie that's ever been told about the Bible. The Bible Y'all, it was not written to white people. It wasn't written for white people. And it definitely wasn't, wasn't written by white people. It has, the Bible has at least 40 writers. Of the 40 writers, 39 of them are either Hebrew or black Hermetic or black Hebrew. 39 of them. It's only one white writer in all of the Bible. His name is Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. Praise the Lord. He wrote the book of Acts. Hallelujah to the lamb. But there's only one. How are you going to call that a white man's book written by the white man for the white man? It's a lie to keep you from the principles of the written word to help you to understand the mind of God. And then others talk about, well, you know, I don't read the Bible because it's got so many contradictions in there. So many. Con when I when I listen to people talk about what they call contradictions. To me, it's just these little incidental things. Y'all, the Bible is a book of faith. And the truth that comes from the Bible is inerrant and infallible. Now, the people that wrote it had errors, but the truth that comes from it is inerrant. The people that wrote it are fallible, but the truth that comes from the Bible is infallible. And these little incidental things... Don't allow that to keep you from the truth. Like somebody tried to show me what they called a contradiction. Because um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew said that there was one angel that was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. 
And then Mark writes about it. And Mark says there were two men who were there when Jesus was raised from the dead. And then Luke says that there were two angels there when Jesus was raised from the dead. And they call that a contradiction because Matthew said it was one angel when Jesus was raised from the dead. And Mark said it was one man when Jesus was raised from the dead. And then Luke said it was two angels when Jesus was raised from the dead. No, you're missing the point. All of them said Jesus was raised from the dead. You're so tied in to one or two witnesses, which is incidental that you're missing out on the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because he raised Jesus from the dead, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't you miss out on the written word. The written word says that if you can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. The truth is there. And then some say, well, I don't accept the written word because in the 17th and 18th century, there were white people that used the Bible and twisted the truth of the Bible to make black slaves more docile and, and more submissive. And, and you are right. In the 17th, 18th century, white people did twist the truth of the Bible in order to get black slaves to be more submissive. You're right about that. What I don't get you get with you about that is, why are you reject, rejecting the truth of the Bible rather than rejecting the ones that twisted the truth? I'm not going to reject the truth that comes from the Bible because somebody white in the 17th and 18th century, you even admit they twisted the truth. I'm not going to reject the truth because you, and it's not just 17th century and it's not just 18th century and it's not just white people. There's some black folk too black and white in the 21st century that twists scripture. The highest elected official in the United States of America stood out in front of a church. He doesn't attend. He doesn't go to stood out in front of a church. He doesn't go in. He stood in front of a church that he doesn't support, doesn't give to held up a Bible that he doesn't read held up a Bible. He doesn't embrace because he's trying to twist all of this for his own personal gain. I'm not going to reject the church and the Bible because he's twisted. I'll reject the twisted person, but I'm receiving the word of God. God has given us the written word. This was some years ago, and I've been preaching since I was 17 years old. I gave my life to Christ when I was 13. Believe Jesus down on the cross, believe God raised him from the dead, received him to my life. I fell in love with the scriptures, the written word of God when I was 15 years old. I, I read the Bible every day, every day. And, and I've been reading the Bible since I was 15. I got called to preach when I was 17. So that's a long time. I bought a bunch of Bibles through the years. One year I went to buy. And young folk, there was a time you didn't just download a Bible. You had to actually go to the bookstore and buy the Bible. So I go to the bookstore and I buy the Bible. When I go to buy it, the way Bibles used to be, they would wrap the new Bible in plastic. Then they would put it in a box. Then when I bought it, they put it in a bag. So I get it home. I take it out of, take the Bible out of the bag. I take the Bible out of the box. Then I take it out of the plastic. I go to read the Bible. When I go to read it, I discover that the cover is upside down. So it says Holy Bible on the front of it. So as I, as I open it, I had to flip it because the cover 
was upside. The cover was one way. The content was another way. So I'm sitting up here saying now, why would they sell me a Bible with an upside down cover? So I made up my mind. I'm taking this Bible back. Somebody should have caught this. At least the one that put the cover on it should have caught it. Or the one that wrapped it in the plastic and maybe even in the box. And they're going to hand me this cover upside down. And, and so I get ready to take it back. Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as day. Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, did you buy this Bible for the cover or the content? And I said, I bought it for the content. Holy Spirit said, then why are you tripping off the cover? And I kept that Bible because I wasn't going to let a messed up cover keep me from the content. There's a lot of folk that twist the truth of the Bible. That's a messed up, twisted cover. But the content is still true. So God says, I know y'all can't. Y'all can't understand the mind of God without the revelation of God. I'm going to give you the spoken word. I'm going to give you the written word and one more and I'm done. John says that God says, I'm going to give you the living word. I'm going to give you the living word in person so that you can have an ocular demonstration to handle the complications of a world gone wild. Preacher, what are you talking about? Logos, that's the mind of God, the thinking of God, the reason and the rationale of God. Somebody is behind all of this world staying together. Paul said it's by in him that all things consist. But we can't understand God's mind independent of revelation. So God says, I'm going to give you another revelation. This revelation is going to be the person of the living word. In the beginning was the word of God. And the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with him. And that word, he is light and life. All things are made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1 and 14. And the logos became flesh and the word became flesh and the word took on human personality. <laughs> And the Logos of God showed up in person. John was trying to reach Greek people that did not grow up in the church, that didn't know anything about the commandments or the patriarchs or the kings or the prophets. How would they understand? He says, that Logos, y'all been talking about that mind of God. That is Jesus. The Logos was here in the beginning. And Jesus now is that Logos become flesh. And I'm so glad. That God gave us the living word. Because his, his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours as the heavens are above. His ways are not our ways. High. How am I going to know the ways of God? How am I going to know God? I, now I can just look at Jesus. Jesus gives us a picture of who God is. Jesus said that the Father and I are one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I, I don't know what God looks like. I don't know the mind of God. Jesus said, if you want to get that, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One of my, one of my good friends loves jigsaw puzzles. And when I tell you he loves jigsaw puzzles, he loves them so much until he, he works the jigsaw puzzles that have like 1,500 pieces or 2,000 pieces to it. And, and, of course, when you get the jigsaw puzzle with 2,000 pieces, he said he just loves, he gets a satisfaction of taking broken pieces and putting them together until it's whole. He said he loves that. Taking broken pieces, 
a little over time and then putting them together until they're whole. And then one time he said he was working a, a puzzle with 2,000 pieces and lost the box top that had the picture of what he's supposed to be making. Now, those of you who don't do jigsaw puzzles, oftentimes it's the top of the box or page inside that they put a picture of all these broken pieces, what you're supposed to be making. He lost the picture. And he said the satisfaction of putting it together was gone. Now he had frustration because he's trying to put together 2,000 broken pieces of a jigsaw puzzle without the picture. Those of us who are Christians, who've accepted Jesus, who are in the kingdom of God, we deal with the same brokenness everybody else deals with. Same pandemic, same crazy politicians in D.C. We're dealing with the same poverty, the same job losses, dealing with the same issues of trying to figure out education for our children in a world that seems like they don't even care about the children. We're dealing with the same unemployment. We're dealing with the same thing, all this brokenness. But when we deal with the brokenness, we have the principles of God and the picture that we're supposed to be putting together that we see in his written word and in his living word. So we get a satisfaction over time of putting this brokenness together until it becomes the picture of what God is showing us in his word and in Christ. But there are others that have rejected the written word, rejected Christ, the living word, and you're trying to put brokenness together without the picture. No wonder you have so much frustration because you're going to need a picture of what it's supposed to look like. That's what Jesus brings us. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Y'all, the reason I can speak so definitely about who God is and what God's about in the mind of God, because I saw it in Jesus. I know that God is love because Jesus loved. I know God forgives because Jesus forgave. I know God saves because Jesus saved. I know that God gives peace because Jesus gave peace. I know that God is a miracle worker because Jesus worked miracles. I know that God is a healer because Jesus healed. If you want to know what God is like, then look at the living word of God. We find that in Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are saying is I've already accepted Jesus as my personal savior. I have that living word. I know about the spoken word. I've been speaking it over my life and my children and my grandchildren and family in my community. And I know about that written word, Pastor. You're not the only one to read the Bible every day. I read the Bible all the time. But despite the fact that God has spoke it and God has written it and God has lived it, that word, I got to admit my life is still messed up things are still bad things are still jacked up it just seems like all that time i spent spoken word written word and living words seem like it's still not coming together for me yo just because it hasn't happened yet and just because it's not happening all at once doesn't mean the word is not working the apostle paul says that the word is like milk then he said the word is like meat then he said the word is like medicine like milk, it strengthens, like meat, it sustains, and like medicine, it heals. That's what we get in God's word. But the thing that is so common about milk, meat, and medicine, it's only effective when you internalize it. Y'all, milk will not strengthen your bones if you keep it on a shelf in the refrigerator. Meat is not going to sustain you if you keep it frozen in the freezer. 
And medicine is not going to heal you if you keep it in the medicine cabinet. You have to internalize it. You have to get it in you. And the word of God is like it's like medicine. And what medicine does, when medicine gets in your body, it goes throughout your entire body. But then it's able to impact and positively affect the part of your body that is diseased. Disease is a dis-ease. Disease is when you are not at ease operating the way the body is designed by God to operate. But when you get the medicine in you, the medicine goes through your body and then impacts the area that is not at ease the way it's been designed. Paul said that's what the word of God is like. When you and I get the spoken word in us and the living word and the written word in us, it goes to every area of our lives, even the areas of, that are not at ease operating the way God has designed for it to operate. But when you deal with medicine, all medicine doesn't just give you a one-time shot and a big bang. It's one time. As soon as you take it, now everything is over. There is medicine that's called time release medicine. And what time release medicine, how it, how it operates in some instances, they take the medicine and put it in a capsule. And then when you internalize the capsule, you don't get all the medicine all at one time with one big shot and one big hit. Now everything is all right. But that time release medicine is released a little bit over time to deal with the symptoms of what is wrong with you. And that's what God has done with his word. When we get that spoken word and written word and living word on the inside of us, it begins to like medicine. It's time release and it begins to release over time the very thing that you need in your life, the deliverance that you need, the power that you need, the resources that you need, the thoughts that you need, the job that you need, the husband you need, the wife. Is there anybody that knows that God will give you what you need over time? Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Give me the word that will bring new life. Word from the wings of the morning. The dark nights will pass away if you just speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. And when we get that word of God on the inside of us, I'm a living witness that God will make a way, that God will open doors, that God will forgive sins, that God will overcome enemies, that God will pay bills, that God will keep your mind, that God will take care of you. So you don't have to worry and don't you be afraid. Joy comes in the morning. Trouble don't last always. Because there's a friend named Jesus who will wipe your tears away. And if your heart is broken, just lift your hands and say, I know that I can make it. And I know that I can stand. Because my life is in his hand.